0: Uh, welcome back to The Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. This is Sonny Bunch. I am here with Ian and Esham Nelms. How are you guys today? Good, brother. Thank you for having us. Uh, y- you will likely know them from the movie Fat Man, which I have been uh, promoting constantly on my my Twitter feed, uh, and and have been rewarded with this uh, chance for uh, an excellent podcast. I'm very excited. Um, so I uh, one thing I like to talk about on this on this show is kind of the business of show business, and the the making of this movie is kind of a was took took a while. I mean, it was not a, a thing that just showed up made and done one day, you know, so could you guys talk a little bit about my understanding is you guys first wrote it in 2005, 2006, uh, and then, and then, you know, uh, and spent, spent a bunch of time getting it made. How did, how did that all come about? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, you're
1: absolutely right. This was not an overnight process and this is definitely like we had a, uh, I would say we definitely had like a, our first coherent draft about 14 years ago, but even a couple years before that, uh, is when we actually started working on the idea and fleshing it out. Yeah, we wrote two
2: short stories. Uh, one that resembles the film, I guess, a version of the film, the beginning of the film. A little kid writing a letter Santa in a in a sort of contemporary setting, and then we wrote another one uh, that was the sort of origin story of that character of how Santa became Santa. And then, you know, for obvious reasons, budgetarily, and you know, we were just starting out. And we we didn't think we could get our, our hands on a, on an epic, uh, you know, period. period. <laughs> We were just like okay that's not gonna happen <laughs> let's try to think of something more contemporary um so we went with the contemporary one first and yeah man i you know we we were uh we were running around with the script and people were digging it and we would, we would get into meetings off of that script, a lot of meetings off of that script, <clears throat> where people were just really excited to probably see the two maniacs uh that wrote it and then they would in during the meeting uh they would say oh this is Someone's gonna make this. It's not gonna be you guys, but someone's gonna make this. And we're like, why? Why want to be us? And they're like, well, because you guys haven't directed anything of, you know, they they could show off what the tone is of this film. They're like, it's so director dependent. And we were like, well, what do you mean? You know, 14 years ago, we just started out. We didn't quite understand what they were talking about. And they were like, well, if you get Edgar Wright, it's gonna go this way. If you get, you know, Tarantino, it's gonna go this way. Paul Thomas Anderson's gonna do something a little bit different with it. They're like, if you get a certain director, it's gonna be a certain their their type of flavor. Um, and so for 14 years, uh, we were we would shopping around. We would get that we would get that feedback, and it wasn't until we, we so we sort of started to build ourselves backwards. We we wrote another script that was um, that we thought we could get to Fat Man from uh, next, and that one got set up for like five and a half million dollars at the time, and it was right before uh, the big financial crunch um, and a and a writer strike that was happening in like around 08. And I remember we had it all set up. We had a, a kind of a, a mini studio that was doing it. We had actors, like great actors, on board to do it. And then the financial crunch hit, and it, and the writer's strike hit, and that five and a half million dollar movie turned into like a two million dollar movie. And they were like, hey, you know, sorry, after the after the strike was over, after everything was over, they're like, I'm sorry, that's a two million dollar movie. We're like, oh wow, okay. Uh, I don't think we can do it for two million dollars. Like, well, write, write something for two million bucks. So when we went back, we wrote something for two million bucks, which is actually small town crime. And we we went out with that one. And by the time we got out there with small town crime, it had been about a year and it was about two thousand ten around this time. And that was right when the bottom fell out of the D V D market. And that two million dollar movie had now turned into a two hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand dollar movie. And they were like, Can you do it for two, two fifty like, not a chance. <laughs> so then we got kind of angry, you know, it just kind of our predicament. And not anybody in particular, it was just it the just sort of the business was. We were like, all right, screw it. We need to write something that is scalable to a point that we can't be stopped, that we're just gonna go do it. And that's literally what we did. We 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 wrote something called Lost on Purpose, which uh, you know, had nothing to do with the two crime thrillers we'd written before. It was it was a dairy epic about five people working on a dairy farm and the woman who ran it. Obviously there's a big market for that. And <laughs> It was, our, it was our, kind of our stand-up to uh, American Graffiti and and, uh, uh, the cool. picture, uh, yeah. um, and the area that we grew up in and, and how we grew up and the people that are there um, in that area. And so we, 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 we wrote that. we were going to do it for 50 grand, which is what we could get our hands on. And then we just started raising money and getting cast members and we got some name casts and some people that were on some TV shows and, and pretty soon that got up to about 200 grand. and we went and shot that. And then from that, someone saw that on the circuit and they were like, the film festival circuit, and they were like, how much did you do that for? And how did you get that cast attached? Because we had like Jane Kassmerich and James Lafferty who were on, she she had just come off Malcolm in the Middle. Right. James was in the last two seasons of One Tree Hill, which he'd been on for eight years at that point. So we had a great cast and they were like, how did you do that? And we were like, well, here's how we did it. It's like, well, hey, I've been trying to develop this movie that I have a book that I have the rights for. Now i have a half a million dollars but we have a 20 million dollar budgeted script can you guys look at this and see if you can figure out some version of this book and the script that we could do for half a million bucks and we said okay we looked at the book we looked at the script it's definitely too big we kind of repitched them how we would structure it, make it a little bit smaller and they said okay that's great and We said well we'll write the script if you guarantee us you'll make the movie and they said okay we will and then literally you know three months we finished the script in three months and within six months we were on the ground in utah casting and like ready to shoot it was amazing it was an amazing experience as quick as i've ever had it and be greenlit yeah right? and then from there those same producers were were like hey what a great experience you guys have anything else and so well, we've got these crime films it's very unlike waffle street which is what the title of that book was and mm-hmm. the film was very unlike that but like if you like we're very passionate about them and we gave them small town crime they read it and said okay i think we can find some money if you can find some talent for it. And so they we met with the financiers. They're so like, yeah, if you can get some talent on this, we'll, we'll fund it. We're good to go. Um, and we'd known Octavia Spencer since like 2002 when we first came to town in LA. And, you know, back when she was just getting bit parts in like Spider-Man and Being John Malkin, it's got a line in there. And, you know, for us, that she might as well have been, you know, a superstar. <laughs> We're like, holy shit, you're in Being John <laughs> Um But she was like, she, was, she had just done the help, I think it was a year after the help, and so she, she had some traction. She had some weight, and she was just like, hey, what are you all doing? And we're like, oh, hey, well, we're working. We're just finishing up Waffle Street, and we showed her the trailer. And she's like, oh, my God, I love Danny Glover. You got Danny Glover? Holy shit. So she was like really pumped. And we were like, hey, we're also, we have this crime filler we're pitching right now. We've just done the lookbook. And she said, oh, you know, I love crime fillers.' And we did know that, actually, so it was a little bit planned. She's always been a big fan of like, you know, making a murderer and like she's always like, I know we think I see his eyes, I know he did it. I know we did it, y'all. Like she's just not necessarily about that project in, in particular, but any any movie she's watching, she's guessing, she's ahead. She loves mysteries and crime novels. So uh, we, we knew a tonight. Exactly. We knew a group night We knew our audience. So we went to her with it. She was like, Let me read this thing. So she read it within like uh, you know 24 hours, 36 hours, and uh, called us. and Was like, okay, I'm EPing this thing. I'm in y'all. This looks fun. This looks awesome. Is there like a cop or something I can play? And we were like, well, <laughs> and we sort of said we pitched her on, well, what if we cast you as the sister, and what if we cast the the, the John Cox character as a white guy, and like it's we kind of reverse engineer it, kind of reverse blindside it, where it's a white guy who gets into a black family and fucks it up. We thought that was pretty funny, and she did too. So so she's like, oh, I love that. That's really funny. And she said, bring your list over. Let's like let's talk about who we want for this lead. We all landed on John Cox. And uh, (laughs) funny story about getting John Cox is she's like she wrote him this letter and she said, John, we've been in three movies and we've never had a scene together. Let's remedy that. I just want to say one thing. She's like, we play brother and sister. Read it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and John obviously that thought that was a much different movie. He thought it was like The Jerk or something, you know? <laughs>
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I remember seeing that cast and I was like, well, that doesn't make quite sense to me. I'm not, I'm not sure how to how to make this work, but it works. It works. Uh, so, so you're basically like, this is, it's funny because, you know, we've basically told the whole origin story of Fat Man here and it involves like four other movies, it does. Uh, yeah. you know, I mean, it, and it's, it's, I, like I said, you know, I, I think people don't quite understand in uh, in terms of like getting a movie like this made or getting any movie made really the 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 difficulty of getting the money and how you do that. And I I, I wanted to talk a little bit about um, budgeting this film because I mean, this you made this for about twenty million, is that right? Is that <laughs> In that, it's that is the number? That's the number I've seen thrown around. It's funny that,
2: that's, that was being thrown thrown around, and the last thing I want to do is say that we didn't have that much money. And wow, what a what a wonderful experience! It was. But we actually had just under ten. Okay, okay. So yeah, so you you've got you you make, but still a bigger bigger budget. Oh, yeah. you're, you're
0: making you're making you're making a, a bigger movie here. Yeah. Um and and could you, could you get that sort of money without a name like Mel Gibson or Walton Goggins? Like how does, how does that process come about? How do you get the, how do you get the script to Mel Gibson and Walton Goggins and be like, okay, now we can sell international rights. Now we can do, you know, other things.
1: Yeah. You absolutely nailed it. I mean, that's how it works. Um, And it's the, it's the old classic catch 22, right? So you need money or you need an actor to get one or the other. And you can't go to the actor without money and you can't, you know, you can't do anything without the money. So, then, and so we were just sitting there, and so we got our producers on board, and Ian and I, you know, landed on Mel Gibson after seeing him at q and A Q&A for Hacksaw Ridge. We're like, oh my gosh, he's perfect. Uh, he had the great beard and all that good stuff. And so then we we just had to submit like everybody else to him, right? And so we wrote him a letter, and uh, we complimented how great he looked in the, in a beard, and we sent it off to him, and we just prayed, we crossed our fingers, you know. And about two weeks later, you know, this is we're fielding offers from from production companies and stuff like that. Like we're getting emails and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden this email lands in Ian's box.
2: And he, so I get this email. And we're like, I guess, like I just said, we were sending a lot of emails back and forth to producers like, Oh yeah. Hey, looking forward to sitting down with you. So glad you dug the script. You know, like we'll see, see in a week set in meetings. And then we got this one email that didn't have a sign off on it. And, you know, that like a weird, a weird uh, email that just had a moniker. You know, it was like uh, it wasn't like Mel Dude 25 or something, to where you could be like, "Oh, I know, I know who this is." And so it was like, "Hey, I enjoyed the script, and uh, you know, I thought it was really funny. I'd love to sit down for a chinwag." And we were like, first what is a You know, <laughs> who is this guy?" Um, and and then he was like, "Oh, hey, sorry, after, and I forgot." And I wrote him. I said, "Hey, awesome, would love to sit down with you. We're really excited. Like, uh, you know, who am I speaking with?" <laughs> He was like, oh, sorry, I forget to sign off. This is Mel. And I literally was just like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> um, I think Ash and I hugged after that. Definitely. And, and then it was like, okay, you get the agent to agent. And they were like, okay, you get 45 minutes you know, with Mel in the cafe. We're like, all right, great. So
1: we're like mapping out the conversation, right? Like the beats. Like, okay, we got to
2: get in. We like, like talk about this, this, and this. And, like, and then and- we get there. And like three and a half hours later, we emerge, you know. Uh, still talking on the way to the car, like you know, just just really marinating in the conversation that we had. and we talked about everything, which was amazing. like he's really open and wonderful to talk to. like he, there's nothing about him or his life that's off that's off limits when you talk to him. He's just very open and very who he is. and he's just like, oh yeah well, this is what happened da, 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 these are the films that inspired me and and we were we were just talked about his movies, movies in general, and then we started talking about fat man. And it it really – there was this one moment during the conversation where we knew we had the right guy, and he was talking about that moment out on the the catwalk talking to the elves, and he was like, I think I – in that moment, wow, I I just really want to be like so crestfallen, like I'm depressed, and it's like the worst news I've ever had to tell these elves, and I'm just like, I'm going to cry. I'm about ready to cry. We're like, yeah, yeah, exactly, and he's like, and and that's what's going to make it so funny. And we're like, exactly. <laughs> that's exactly what we're going for. So he automatically, we start talking about how grounded we wanted to be, and he he interpreted that scene perfectly for us, and that we were just like, he gets the layers already. Like we don't we don't have to sit here and try to explain to him how we think it should be. Whatever he's just like, yeah, yeah, I I, I want to do this because of this, and I know it's going to be that and be funny. Like, great, right. yes, yeah.
1: And he also he also mentioned like I kind of see Chris as like an old cowboy. Yeah, that's know, for, it, for us, like we we sort of see the movie as like a contemporary western in a lot of respects.
0: Yeah. Like it, yeah, you know, it, I mean, it, it's interesting, the tone the tone of this, everybody, all the reviewers and all the critics talk about the tone of the movie and how it, it is not necessarily what they expected, certainly off the first trailer. I mean, I remember when I saw the first trailer, I, I was thinking like, OK, this is kind of like uh, this is kind of like the movie at the start of Scrooge, right? The day the reindeer died or whatever. And I was like, this, this, this is going to be kind of nuts and insane. And instead, it's much it's it's uh, I don't want to. It's not sad, but it is kind of elegiac, right? It's like it's got this kind of uh, um, thoughtful tone to it that I don't think anybody was really expecting. And I, you know, I how do you? I guess my, my question here is, how do you kind of cast for that? I mean, are you are you looking at specific actors who have been in similar sorts of movies, or are you just kind of going with whoever whoever comes to you?
1: Well, look, I mean, for us, it's it's important. Is can we do we see the script? Being embodied by that person, right? That's the number one thing. Like, like I said, when we saw Mel there, we're like, "Oh, that—that's him. That's the guy." You know, um, Walton's a different story, right? Like, we didn't have Walton in our mind's eye when we wrote it, um, and we were meeting other actors about the role of, of Skinny Man that were all going to do a, you know, an equally beautiful but different job. But I remember when we sat down with Walton at a coffee shop, and we're just sitting across from him, rapping about, it, and all of a sudden, Walton just stands up and he starts doing the character right there in the middle of the of the, of the coffee shop. And Ian are like, holy smokes like he feels like the skinny man. He looks like the skinny man. Like he is the skinny man. And right then and there, you know, and look, we would met other people, but he was the guy. And we're like, OK, that's him. Like, let's let's it grab him. And- it was undeniable when he yeah. stood undeniable. up. Undeniable. And, like, undeniable. and that's what we always say is like we go into this with our eyes and ears open. And when the two by four hits you across the face, you better be paying attention. Like you don't that you're just reacting in the moment, right? When we when
2: we picked up when we when we went after Marianne, let's see when we went after, her, not when we picked her up, but when we went after her, she was she was like we 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 had we had the idea of, of casting a person of color for that, and and then when we got to like okay, who is it going to be, or who do we want who do we want for it? And she has she has such a one she has such wonderful dramatic chops that we were just like okay. The only question, you know, is is going to be for us was, is the chemistry going to be there? And like, because we, we, the reason we wanted her was because she was so strong. She was such an alpha in all the stuff that we'd seen her. She's such a strong woman, but she also has this weird quality of warmth that's kind of hovering underneath the surface, which, and and that to us that we interpreted that for this film as like motherly warmth or, you know, the sort of cookie she's always making, the cookie baking mother that you always, could sort of see Missus Kringle being, but, but she has to be kind of a badass for that ending to work, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, in terms of uh, in terms of getting the movie out there and getting it released and distributed, I mean, it's it's always a challenge with an indie movie, obviously. Like I, I, I'm familiar with it, with all that that world, but it seems like it's a million times worse right now just because of uh, coronavirus and COVID and getting, like getting people actually out to a theater is an impossible challenge. Do you do you feel like the rise of VOD has been uh, helpful in that sense in, in terms of like training audiences to be like, okay, well, you don't have to go to the movie theaters first. There's stuff that you can watch at home, stuff like Batman. I, th- I think VOD
1: expedited, I mean, I'm sorry. I, I think Corona expedited where we were going with VOD, right? Like it just, it, it like, now I have delivery robots going, you know, a, autonomous delivery go, robots going down my street. Like they were in the pipeline. They're just getting sped up. And I think the same thing is happening with on-demand content. Like, you know, I love the theatrical experience. We're big supporters of it. We, But our number one goal is for people to be safe and to consume the, the movie in a, in a safe manner for them. But I will say this, like, also what coronavirus has done is it's pushed the bigger tent poles way down the line, right? It pushed them off, so it made... Uh, it created opportunity and space for smaller movies, not just ours. Many,
2: many smaller movies mm-hmm. to come in and have success. Yeah, if we were if we were butted in between, you know, uh, James Bond, whatever Marvel movie was 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 coming out, and Wonder Woman, like it would just be like one barrage of a billion dollar campaign after the other, and we would be sort of lost in the mix, and just pray to God that we would stand out in some way because we were just sort of you know. This sort of darker tale, or be, you know, or because it was a it was a quirky movie or whatever, but like that was that would be all we kind of have to just lean on and have that we would have. But since everything kind of got pushed off for us, like we were one of like two or three movies that were coming out at the time. So when I'm saying when we first initially launched, and everything else was a two or three weeks away from us on either side, um, and that just kind of I mean you know it was some somewhat strategy after Saban was able to look at the landscape, but that was also kind of lucky and that we were at the end of the year and it was, that's a big time to release stuff and everything got, all those big ones got pushed to the top of next year because they thought they were going to sort of be able to fall on that back landslide. And then that back landslide even started looking shaky for them. And now they're thinking, okay, why don't we dump it all to streaming? But it's interesting. It's interesting to see how that all kind of came to fruition. It's uh, for the market now, but, but yeah, we're big supporters of streamers, honestly, because like coming up in the independent business, like, we were one of the first people to have you know a movie on netflix that kind of bro- broke out and like really become its own thing on netflix like, mm-hmm. wall street one of our titles like we were one of their best sellers for like six or eight months when because mm-hmm. there was there was nothing else on that network but was, like, <laughs> a couple of movies and we were one of them that people were watching the shit out of at the time right. so we were big like, we were hugely embracing it because a, a little half a million dollar movie like waffle street just wouldn't get the would never have been seen by anybody in in that climate when we released it. But on Netflix, we're one of the top five or 10 on the row. And it's like, Hey, this is one of our new amazing films. We have guys watch it. So everyone was clicking on it.
1: But I also think like the streamers are giving opportunity to more uh, boutique movies, right? Like the little more like they're starting to venture into that because they're not going to like, they're not going to go out Marvel Marvel. So like, right. oh well, what can we make that's different from that? And so everyone is starting to get like uh, to welcome in these
0: these cooler sort of smaller films. Yeah. What, did you guys uh, I I mean, I don't want you to talk too much about, you know, sensitive negotiations and all that. But were, did you guys talk to the streamers about Fat Man? Because, I mean, it does it, it feels like the sort of thing that like Netflix is known for their Christmas.
2: This is content, the most right? interesting thing. This was the most interesting thing that. All the producers that were working with us on the movie didn't didn't know, and we didn't know. It was just market. But when we went to the streamers, they were like, this is fun, this is cool, but sorry, tween Christmas-type movies don't do that well for us on our on our algorithm. So we're like, what do you mean? They're like, well, we've got a title right now, Blah, 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 Christmas. I don't want to say the title, but they gave us two or three titles that were kind of darker Christmas fare or a crime thriller and a Christmas, blah, 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 that they paid for the year before to have done and, And it just didn't perform for them so they were like we're gonna lean more towards christmas chronicles we're gonna lean more towards jingle jangle we want family four quadrant heavy duty that's what we want that's what performs for us and we're gonna we're gonna i'm sure they're more like let's see where you guys where you land if you're gonna land on your feet great then maybe we'll pick you up but if you land in the blah 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 christmas arena and you have a hard time then we're not going to pick you up so I'm sure that it, that those are, in, in their mindset they can kind of hopefully swoop in on the back end of it and make their decision where they're gonna pick it up then it- yeah, mm. but, and also like our deal with um,
1: Saban like they had to, it, it's interesting because COVID created a little bit of a hurdle for us in that if anyone wanted to to, to come in and and, and and take over that deal they had to do a minimum theat- theatrical guarantee which was pretty sizable. And in these times,
2: no one was really excited about giving a huge theatrical guarantee. Yeah, at the time when we first started doing the movie, I mean, Savant started as like a backstop deal, which means they put up money. They want to distribute it and they're totally excited to distribute it. But they're also of the mind like, hey, you know, Universal comes in and wants to pick this thing up and go to 2000 theaters. Like we're more than, of course, that's great for them, too. So they're like, hey, we want to do that. We want to let you have the opportunity to do that. But then when we came out the other side of it, you know, we were we were shopping the movie in like September. So it was like, there was no, everyone was like, look, there's going to be no theatrical market all the way through January, most likely. So we're not going to commit, we like the movie, but we're not committing to, you know, this many theaters because we just can't commit that. There's even going to be that many theaters left to, to be open. So yeah. We had a lot of great interest in it. Everyone was really pumped about it. They wanted to see it and talk to us about it. But at the end of the day, they were just like, oh, we just, we would go, you know, yeah. most likely we're, we're sending, we're, they were like, we're sending Wonder Woman to freaking, you know, to streamer like we're not gonna, you know, bend over backwards for this one. Yeah, I think the plan was the plan, and they were just they were everyone was pretty set by the time we were headed out. So it wasn't even an, a really opportunity. And I'll give it to Saban. They were like, "Hey, I think this there is a theatrical market for this thing," and I, I get it that these guys are sort of stuck right now in a you know they don't have a lot coming in, but we actually have some titles that are performing theatrically, and I think they had like the silencing and something else that had done really well. So they were like, we're actually going to go harder with this one than we did with those. We're like, awesome. So I think we ended up in the right place and they ended up, you know, doing as the best they could under the circumstances with the film.
0: Yeah.
2: I I had tried to
0: go see it in theaters, but the nearest one playing me was like 50 miles away. It was, oh, it was wow. too bad. It was too bad. But, I, uh, no, I, but it's, 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 it's a, it's a really fun movie. I would, I would have liked to have seen this with an audience, is what I'm saying. I would, I would have liked to have seen this one with, you know, people that kind of like see them react to that Mel Gibson line read of the, uh, you know, kind of, kind of serious and sad Santa telling his elves he can't pay them, uh, and, and, and all that. Uh, I, you know, so, how have what what have you guys made of the reaction to it i mean ian i mean we connected Ian because you were you're on twitter uh, you know social media all the time you know talking to people who've seen it um how 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 have you guys uh reacted to both audience response and critical response because there's definitely a split there and i was kind of surprised frankly by the the split but uh but uh, but how 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 have you guys how have you guys made out you know the number one thing for me though is i just read one i mean i I don't know what it is. It's like,
1: um, maybe I like to torture myself, but I'll go through and I'll read them all good, bad, and the ugly. And one that just popped up just recently that made me laugh was like, Santa, this is not a Christmas movie. It's too violent. There's too much language. Santa's coat isn't red enough and his beard isn't (laughs) white enough. And I'm like, and it just, it just makes me laugh. Right. Because it's like, well, that's, the movie you would have made, right? And like, and so it, it's okay that it's not the movie for you. There's a plenty of movies that are like that. But what we are interested in are the people whose this movie is for. You know that that this they respond to this in a positive light, and we can't
2: worry about those that want it to be something else. Yeah, that's been the that's probably been the most amazing thing is this is watching the people that had certain expectations mm-hmm. as to what we were making or or some kind of bias against it because Mel was holding a gun or because. Or, or it, yeah, there was there was an oddly, like, sort of polarization that hit the film when, when people were like, oh, this, is, this isn't my Christmas movie because my Christmas movie is a little more schlocky and you're not schlocky enough for me. And then the other folks were like, this is fucking really cool because I haven't seen anything like this. And I've actually been wondering, like, when something like this is going to fucking kind of come around because why haven't we done this yet to this character, which is what we were thinking. And it was also really interesting when we were – after we finished it and it got released and people started watching it, like how many references to material that it had sort of danced on the premium of, of of where we were at. Like people start talking about the Scrooged, uh, you know, uh, trailer. And I heard some people talking about some, like a family guy episode and like a blue boondocks episode and like a, um, weird owl song and all that kind of weird crazy Al stuff. Right? And like some other comic books that like there's probably half a dozen comic books that had something that was kind of in the vein or someone had a YouTube channel and did a character that was kind of this. I'm like, like there are probably a dozen like decent references of stuff that people are like, well, they must have got it from this and that and the other and blah blah. blah. And I'm like, holy shit, like we, I, I like we didn't reference anything. We thought it would be a cool idea to do something kind of unbreakable ish with Santa. Um, and put it in a, in a Western setting. And it's been it, it's been kind of like jaw dropping to see that there was stuff even that close to us. Cause we were like, oh yeah, great. You know, we got something really cool original here and no one's danced on it yet. And then to see it all kind of come out, you're just like, fuck, we're so lucky that we got this out when we did, because who knows when one of those other things would have been turned into a feature film of some sort.
1: And to and address the like the, the, the critic and audience thing, like this isn't the first time the critics and audiences have have, have sure. been a wide gap between what they think is good and bad. And and we're just not going to worry about that,
2: you know. Yeah, yeah. The
1: important part is that there are many, many uh, critics that enjoy
2: the film, and we're well, embracing right on the other side of it. Right? Is that we've got we've got, a, we've, got a, we've got some critics that don't get it, don't understand it, and are are violently against it uh, for one reason or another. And then there's critics that are just like down, like are 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 pushing hard for us on on on, on and saying this is a fucking great film, like you need to see this, which is fucking great. People like yourself, Sonny, thank you very much. Uh, mm-hmm. They're getting the word out and just saying, "Hey, you've got to check this out. This isn't what people are saying it is in their reviews." Which, yeah, it's been it's been really interesting to see people try to trash it and then other people try to hold it up and say, "No, no, no!" Like they're trashing it for for a reason. Yeah. Um, like, come on. Do you uh, do you guys? And uh, you know, I don't.
0: Uh... I don't want you to play mind readers here or anything, but have you gotten the sense that there has been a pushback solely because of Mel Gibson's casting? I mean, I like a Gibson, one of my absolute favorite actors. Uh, I think he's great in this. I definitely get the vibe from some folks online that they just don't want him to be in anything
2: ever, yeah. ever again. They, they, they just want him to go away. I heard, I mean, look, there's definitely a, a percentage of critics that came out really hard off the bat and did that and went to, Really dark places with with things he said or or whatever. But there's also like the side of people that are just like I don't want I don't like what you've done to my Santa. <laughs> and I, feel like, <laughs> I feel like that was oddly those were oddly like hand in hand. I feel like those were equally as disruptive yeah. in that people were. I saw so many reviews that were just like Santa doesn't hold a gun, you son of a. Bitch. <laughs> Santa's pushing the Christmas spirit always. He never gets down. You know, I'm like, look, man. (laughs) All right. Santa's been through hundreds of years of this shit and it's slipped. He's not perfect. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs)
1: And then there's the other other folks that are like, oh, this, you know, they're going to tell you what the movie should have been instead of taking the movie for what it is. So it's like, you can't, you can't, you're not going to please everybody. But yeah. There, there are there are people that really enjoy it. Many, and uh,
2: that's what we respond. <laughs> yeah, we're really. I mean, and that's what that's what we've done, right? I mean, you know, going online and talking to people about it, and uh, and just, just just finding that community of people that are really embracing it has been really rewarding because it, it helps you deal with the with the weird or <laughs> negative moments. It's just like that's not even the movie we made. I don't even know what you're reviewing. <laughs> you know, and it's yeah. fun to see some other reviewers say that. i was really just listening when yesterday, the guy was like, I've read some of these reviews and they're not the movie that I watched. <laughs> 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 that was hilarious. <laughs> uh, yeah, also fun to see uh, reviewers come out and audience members or, uh, uh, audience members that come watching and review it and start making statements on Twitter, which is what I've gotten very like, hey, great, awesome. I'm glad you know. Uh, but it's fun to see them say, I read the reviews of this i went and watched it and this thing's actually really fucking good like holy shit like what the fuck is going on and then some guy wrote this whole essay that i posted at one point on a uh, on this like blogger site and he was just like why has the internet failed fat man <laughs> and and it was this huge like you know fucking eight paragraphs of him just dissecting what he thought was going on in the in the political uh you know world like how it's it's, it's oddly, you see these weird factions. And of course, I'm on Twitter, which is like a weird two or three percentage of very extreme people being very vocal on one side or the other. But it, it, yeah. is, cool. it is cool to be on there and see what those extremes are saying. Because most people are more in the middle. They're like, yeah, yeah, I dug it. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, or, you know, it just wasn't for me or whatever. I'd rather watch Christmas Chronicles too You're like, okay, great. Um, but it's interesting to see what the extremes are saying. And, and some people are leaning like, that guy shouldn't have a gun in his hand. He should be, you know, you should be throwing whipped cream pies instead of shooting guns. And then the other side's like, this is awesome. Like, this guy's a fucking real man, man's man, back to the 80s type of shit. You know? It's like, he's somewhere. Quite-
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think I think we just went out and we just made a movie that we would get a kick out of, right? And that's that's all literally at the end of the day we can do is like go out and make something that we think that we get a kick out of and then present it to the world.
2: Well, I think yeah. the worst thing we could do as artists, right, is is take some like you know four quadrant you know yeah, trying to hit something or try to take criticism and nail that because that's just not who we are. Like we need to just be very true to like what we're trying to say and why and how and and what our voice is because that's, that's just how we've always moved forward. You know, we've. We've made we've made uh, a lot of our earlier stuff didn't even get reviewed by critics so that it's kind of cool to see people having some kind of hubbub over it you know at least there's something to be controversial or talk about which is cool you know
0: yeah I uh, so I, I I think I saw you mention that we we might be looking
2: at a, a sequel or prequel territory here they're, they're us they started asking us like about uh, maybe a week ago, after that first week of VOD went really well, and the second week went equally as well for a second week. Like we were, we held really strong. The third week looks like it's going pretty damn well as well. So they were just like, "Hey, like, what do you, what are you guys doing for two? Like, what are we doing?" We're like, "Okay, well, we're gonna start putting our thinking caps on." And so they started kind of running around and just kind of circling the wagons to make sure all the elements would be in place because there's a lot of producers and there's a lot of distribution company and mm-hmm. actors and schedules and. Yeah, and it's just let's just see if we can make this thing work, and and, and make sure all the the A team of, of the folks that are definitely going to be in the in the sequel. Yeah. yeah. But Ian, yeah, I went away, and we're like, okay, if the first one was Mad Max, what's our Road Warrior? Exactly. <laughs> Where can we take this puppy that no one's expecting? Because that, that's the great thing about Road Warrior, right? You start off, and you're like. This isn't fucking Mad Max. Like, where the fuck am I? All of a sudden, we're in a desert. There's fucking, like, there's nobody left. You know, there's like 20 people in a fucking circle somewhere. Yeah. Like, what the fuck happened? And he's got to give a whole prologue as to, like, what happened in like, 20 years. Yeah. Mel shows up and he's only five years older. You're like, what the fuck happened in five years? we down quick.
0: Yeah. Um, all right. Well, great. I, I always like to ask my um, guests if there's anything I should have asked. Is there anything that you think people should know about the process of filmmaking just in general or this movie specifically uh, that, that I did not, I did not think in my carelessness to, to inquire about?
2: <laughs> um, um, go ahead, Ian, I don't know. Gosh, if you got something, go for it. I don't have anything. That's what's oh. embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know, I guess it's interesting because you were, you were, we were we're sitting here talking about things that we haven't talked about on any other podcast and like I can go right back to the diatribes and you know regress back into the talking points that we've said 25 times on other other podcasts or other Q and A's about like why we made the movie and how we got it going and' what we need to do but, I, yeah, I, I, uh, I know those are out there. And I know people can find five of them that say that say those things. Each one of those has really cool stuff that no one else talked about. But this one definitely went in a direction that we've never talked about before. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. We, well, we all, I also
1: love like, deep diving on, like, I don't know, just some of the more nuanced things in the film, like the car and stuff like that, you know? Like that? Yeah. That's always interesting. And, and I don't know that people always make the connection. you know, but they would have to see it. So there would be a bunch of spoilers in there. So
0: Yeah. Well, that's I, – I was. I'm assuming that most of the people have seen it. We can well, – I'll put a – I'll throw a spoiler warning in here. So t- talk about the car. If you want to talk talk about the car. The car is interesting. Well, okay. So, like, but for us, what's interesting is, like, um,
1: I don't know if a lot of people are picking up on it. Maybe they are, right?
2: But, like, the – Some people well, we talked to have picked up on it, and some people we yeah. talked to have not. And I, it's probably down the line. It's probably a 50-50 split of people thinking, oh, I didn't, shit, I didn't even think of that, amazing, great, cool, great, great, you know, nuance, and then other people are like, yeah, 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 I got that, that was awesome, I really enjoyed that. So I guess for those that have
1: seen it, like, uh, this would be a bit of a spoiler, uh, so if you have seen it, great, but Walton, when he holds up at the end with Chris and he holds up the car, like, that's a police car, and so we were very specific in the car we wanted to get for Walton, which is the Monaco, which is an iconic police car through the 70s, and it is driven by the T-800 and terminator but more importantly it is a police car painted jet black you know mm-hmm. so it's like he could have been you know what what his what direction chris was sending him was hey to be a cop but he took a rather devious twisted version where he still you know he, he
0: still drives the car he got the car yeah. he got it from chris but he's now like you know the villain of it all yeah oh that's great Now i see i so- Right over my head. Right. That was I did didn't did not pick up on that. Like um, another thing is like with Skinny Man is like
1: when the woman says you know <laughs> you're a snake person. Like we always envision Skinny Man as a snake, right? So when he has the hamster and he's sitting there and he's like kisses it, it's like well, he, he has he has, he has, has that, that hamster. hamster like that's his like that for a snake that's a food, but, right? But he knows like deep that's that's why he gets along with it, right? Because he can kind of like toy around
2: with his food, but he actually like deeply loves it. But he, it's a power thing for him. Yeah, for us it was like his only friend. You know, it was like the only thing he loved and he's had him since he was kid since he was a kid. Not that in particular one because they only have they have a short lifespan, but that he's only had hamsters and those have kind of been his only friends. So it's kind of sad and empathetic on that on that level. But then you start to dive a little deeper into like who his only friend is, and it's like a it's a it's a food for who he really is, and it's it's something he controls and has in his whimsy and you know, he can kill it at any second and eat it in any second. We wanted that feeling. I remember a lot of people when we first showed it to, <laughs> we're like, I thought he was going to bite the head off that hamster. I thought he was going <laughs> to We're like, yes, that's exactly what we want. We want that moment to be like, what are you going to do to that thing? Like, he's, oh, he's going to kiss it. Okay. Yeah. Put it back in there.
1: Like, I don't know. It always gets a kick out of a suit. Like, we, we get calls from people and they're like, my girlfriend and I were about ready to drive over there and kick your asses when Chris was laying dead <laughs> on the ground. We are like, that's it. I'm <laughs> like, you guys killed him. You're heartless. That's a like, Or the yeah. other version of that is like, I thought Walton was going to put on the coat. And we're like, oh, man.
0: That would have
2: been amazing, too. That would have been nuts. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
0: I uh I, it was funny because I was I was actually running through both of those scenarios in my head as it was happening. I was like, "Oh, is this the end of Santa Claus?" <laughs> but then I thought, "Well, no, he healed himself before. He can probably yeah. come back from this too." It's very it's a very intricately plotted movie. I mean, there the, everything is foreshadowed extremely well. It's not uh you, nobody should be shocked by the the things that happen but, in it, which is always the sign of a good tight screenplay, I think. You know what
2: one of the more interesting just, things that occurred like two times uh lately is that guys were deep diving on it, which is always fun to listen to those when people are like deep diving on the nuance of it. And they're like, oh, well, maybe this made sense. Maybe it didn't. But they were talking about how Chris, how we foreshadowed that he had super strength, right? And they were talking about how like he's breaking the, break the hand thing, yeah. lifting the crate. And like, well, he has super strength. And they were just like, why isn't he just like throwing skinny man, you know, 200 yards at the end of that battle scene? And we're like, look, like that was kind of the whole point, right? Is that. Chris is practicing restraint. He doesn't want to kill that guy. He wants to disarm that man. He doesn't want to punch a hole through his face. He wants (laughs) to hit him, knock him loose, and say, hey, look, man, it's over. You lost. Calm down. I'm going to now try to be Santa and talk you down. And then he has the cheater blade, (laughs) boom, gets him in the back. But we were just like – I'm surprised that people were have that they were that they were debating that because I was just like, well, that's kind of the whole point because he's like, it's over, you lost, it's done, and then he gets a blade through him. And but yeah, yeah, that was that was one of my. I was like, okay, I got an answer for that, man. There's, there's a <laughs> he's restraining himself. Yeah, and I just love like when you get the dueling opinions, or it's like he should have
1: fucking killed that kid, and then and then I'm like, damn, you know, like I'm like, like sort of a gun, like this is a Christmas movie, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> the, the other side of that is like. This is not Christmasy enough for me. Santa's always jolly and that. So it's like you just can't
0: worry about pleasing everyone. You're not going to do it. You just go out and make the movie that that you want to make. Yeah. No. I mean, this again. This is what I loved about it. It is. It's dark, but it does have that kind of Christmas spirit and 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 an an implied threat, an implied threat there at the end, which is uh, which is which is nice. Um, well, thank you so much for being on the show. Really appreciate it. Uh, good luck. I hope I, I'm excited for Fat Man too. Uh, you know, the we'll see. We'll see if that comes to be. I know it's it's always a long road. Um, but uh, really appreciate it. Uh, thanks everybody else for listening to the Bulwark Goes to Hollywood. We will be back week. Uh, we'll be back next week with another episode. See you then.